like, okay, you're legally blind, but there's probably a benefit to that with some <laughs> things in golf. And there, there definitely are. <laughs> And we're back for another Park Train. My name is Evan Singer. I'm one of your co-hosts. I got my partner in crime, our other co-host, Matt Cermak, with us for another Park Train. Welcome aboard, Serm, for another train. What's up, Ev? I'll tell you what, I'm feeling pretty inspired after yeah, that you guys, conversation. Yeah, you guys are in so for let's a real, go. <laughs> you're in for a real treat. But in case you're new, we're happy to have you. Our mission on the Park Train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the mm. course. And we believe that if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We interview PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, everyday golfers, and world blind golf champions like Jeremy points to know today, um, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy, help you get out of your own way, shoot your, shoot your lowest scores, and finally enjoy the ride. Uh, before we get to this interview with Jeremy, quick word from our friends at Roback. Roback oh. Performance Apparel has been a longtime partner of ours. It's all we wear now, and every single person that wears Roback never goes back. It's the best fitting, the keeps you cool, the collars stay crisp. Even more fun, sir. Last episode we said it's polo season. It's time to get yourself some new polos because yeah, I bet guys your polos are getting a little raggedy. Okay, from past seasons, they just introduced new '90s prints. They huh. got stripes. They got anything you want of the '90s. Well, here's the other thing, Ev. You know, you might have it. You got a ton of rollback polos, but maybe start spicing it up. Get some prints. Mm. Get some different designs. Might cause a little. Might cause a little buzz. You and your friends, maybe your lady friend. I don't know. Their hey. stuff is really fun. <laughs> really fun. What? But it's flying off the shelves, though. I love they're yeah. always doing themes. Yeah. So here's what you guys got to do. Every time they launch new styles, they sell out quick. So do do us a solid. Go into our show notes. Just tap the episode. It'll open the show notes. And tap the link in the in our show notes. It's also always linked in our bio at the Partrain on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And uh, you tap that link. No need to enter a promo code. You get yourself fifteen percent off your first order. I guarantee you'll never look back. Thanks to our friends at Roback and all of you for getting the best gear out there. I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Guaranteed. Okay. Our episode with Jeremy Pointsino. Um, maybe one of the more inspiring stories we've ever had. Mm -hmm. He played three years at varsity uh, golf in high school from San Diego. His parents met at TaylorMade Golf, which is a fun story. Um, mom was in marketing. Dad was an engineer. And uh, he went blind. He said it was a, he was a sophomore at San Diego State. Just imagine yep. that, sir. Like you're, you're having fun. You're in a fraternity. And one day, they're legally blind. I mean, it's it's a crazy story. I mean, it's just listening to him speak. He's very, very inspirational. But yeah, when you hear stuff like that, it's don't take life for granted. Live every day like it's your last day It's your or it's your best day. And, um, you know, he, his life was on track. It, it hit a road bump, but he came out of it. But it wasn't easy. And we get into that in the episode. Yeah. Talk about the stages of grief, you know, but his four Ps have purpose, passion, perspective, and people. We, we, we dive into that. We dive into his game, we, mental game, his physical game. You don't get to do stuff like this often. And he's really somebody who's making a, a name for himself, and rightfully so, in the golf industry. Yeah, and it's cool, guys, because, you know, it really helps us take a step back and realize that, you know, we get pretty down on ourselves uh, after a bad round of golf or a bad shot or a missed opportunity. 
And, you know, Jeremy had his life flash before his eyes, realized that it was not going to be, you know, the same life that he previously thought he was going to have. But, but guess what? I think there's learnings here, Serm, that he is now a single digit handicap as a legally blind golfer and a world line golf champion. So let's review his accolades for a second. And he's won the USBGA uh, B2 National Champion 2011, uh, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. He's been an open blind golf champion in Australia in 2014, 2018 in Italy. And he's a world blind golf champion 2010, 2016, 2018. Think about all those trophies and all of the things that the average golfer can learn how he focuses on what he can control and still play. He breaks 80. Right. Yeah. You guys got to listen through this. Wait till he starts talking about how he practices his routine, um, his mental keys. And um, you can't walk away not inspired, you know, and, and it'll help your own game because we can all learn from this. Yeah. This is just, you know, you don't, you don't, you just, like I said earlier, you don't hear about, you don't hear this kind of story very often. It gets you fired up. It really does. Well, guys, thank you, as always, for hopping aboard the train. We've been getting messages from you guys every day through Instagram and Twitter. We've added any value. Take that message you DM'd us and put it on Apple Podcast Reviews. Give us a review. Share it with a friend. It means a lot. It helps us out. And that's all we ask. No matter how you're hitting it, no matter where the ball goes, no matter how offline it was from where you intended, what do they got to do, sir? Just enjoy the ride. Take care, guys. Jeremy Pointsano, World Blind Golf Champ. Welcome aboard the train. Thank you for having me. The first question that popped up in my mind, and this could sound silly, Jeremy, but if I jam my finger or if I tweak my back doing something, the first thing I think about is, am I going to be able to play golf this weekend? I'm so curious when you found out that you lost your eyesight at age 19, how quickly did not being able to play golf pop up in your mind? Was it the first thing you thought of? I'm so curious about that. Uh, Yeah, it's not a bad or silly question at all. It was probably the hundredth or millionth thing I was thinking about, to be honest, because uh, going from perfect 2020 sight to legally blind in a matter of months, uh, golf was so far off my radar at that point. I was, I was mainly focused on the main things of how am I going to finish school? How am I going to anything life related? How am I going to be able to do any of these things again? Really? Yep. And so you said you're legally blind, but I think it's really important to give people context because full transparency, Jeremy, I've seen people with walking sticks in public and before I've been acknowledged by those people. And it's mm-hmm. caught me off guard sometimes because I yeah. think people assume that someone that's blind can't see anything. Um, what from I've learned from researching your story ahead of our conversation is there is a wide spectrum of being legally blind. So can you give people some context on that, that it's not just necessarily darkness, right? Mm-hmm. It, there's a, there's a wide spectrum. Yeah. Very, very wide spectrum. Um, like People tend to think you hear blind or legally blind, you think it's black and white. Uh, and someone who's blind or legally blind is just like total darkness. They can't see a thing. And that's a far minority, a large minority mm. of the blind community. Um, but for me in particular, 
I have no central vision. I lost all my central vision in a matter of months. It started in my right eye, then went to my left eye. And to put that in perspective, if folks who are listening to this want to put one hand on top of the other, put your hands directly in front of your face and look around a little bit with your hands directly in front of your face like that. That's what my sight's like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the, I've got complete peripheral vision, the top, the sides, the bottom, which helps like with orientation. I'm not going to bump into things. I I'm aware of my surroundings, but anything I look directly at is completely blurred out. Um, so I say the three main things I'm no longer able to do is I'm no longer able to read without assistive technology. I'm no longer able to drive and I'm no longer able to distinguish faces. Got it. So to give people context from a golfing standpoint, you can see the ball from like a blurred color standpoint, but you can't actually see the ball itself. Yeah, I can somewhat see the ball down below me. I can recognize the difference between a white ball or a yellow ball. Um, But when I'm hitting a provisional, I put the ball right up against my face and then I still turn to my dad and say, is it what number ball is this? And he'll tell me the number and I'll announce that as a provisional. So, um, I can see it below me with the bottom of my peripheral vision. I look a little above things to somewhat see them. Um, but when it's in the rough, I can't tell if it's sitting up, if it's halfway down or if it's deep in there and I got to come and steep on it. So, uh, I'll kind of, if I'm around the green I might tap around it to kind of feel what the rough's like and what I'm going to be chipping out of. Got it. Yeah. Jeremy, thanks for, thanks for joining us this morning. When I, you know, was first reading about you and I've seen you over the past couple of months, you know, just on different podcasts and mediums, I immediately, this is one of the first things that came to my head because we talk about this a lot on the show is pre-shot routine. Mm. So when you first understood, you know, you lost your sight and you went back out into the course and had to figure out how to do this. Talk about, you know, what that adjusted pre-shot routine was like and um, some of your keys and you know, what's changed and, and really how you execute because you do it very well, but, but, you know, getting in that groove would love to hear you talk about that. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kind words. I didn't really have a pre-shot routine growing up in high school and was playing high school golf. Like I was, I was good. I wasn't great. Um, I just, it was kind of like sea ball, hit ball, uh, see the fairway, put it on in the fairway and just kind of go from there. Um, when I lost my sight and started to play blind golf, I didn't have a pre-shot routine in the beginning, um, did the best I could and holes 14 and beyond would get extremely nervous and competitive Mm -hmm. pressure. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I really started to dial in a pre-shot routine that I got better. Um, Mm. and the pre-shot routine is for me is consistent. It's the same thing on the first tee shot as it is for the final approach shot on the 18th. And that consistency helps me not get as nervous, or at least it allows me to rely on something that I'm comfortable with. I know I do it every time and I'm going to do it every time. If I'm, you know, if I'm shooting my lowest score, if I'm trying to win another championship and for me, it's, it's all feel right. I'm not, too focused on on what's out there like i can maybe if it's really tree lined i can maybe see some trees on the left trees on the right and i want to split those um but that's where my dad or my guide comes in to help out and i'm just trying to 
feel what a good swing looks like, a good smooth takeaway, a good transition and a, and just a good smooth swing. And then, um, I do that swing. My dad or guide points in the direction you want to hit the shot. I try to envision where that is. I step over the ball and from behind, they look at my feet, say, go a little more left, a little more right. And then when they say that looks good, then I pull the trigger and just try to put the exact same swing over the ball as I did on that practice swing. And we try to do that in as little amount of shots as possible. So it's, it, it just, you know, it sounds like tempo and visualization are your keys. You know, we talk about, you know, deep breaths or mm. certain things, but tempo and visualization pretty powerful right and, and just repeating that yeah and i guess visualization in a non-visual way right uh sure. more like a field no, visual, for sure. visualization yeah, yeah yeah so it's it's yeah. rhythm it's tempo it's kind of psyching myself into the shot like mm. saying something to myself whether the key is just like doing the doing the shot practice swing uh dad pointing and then as i'm walking into the shot slowly saying to myself confidence confidence ah. and just that's all i say to myself and if I can have confidence and pull the trigger with confidence, I don't care about the result as long as I did those things right. And if right. I did, um, a majority of the time things go well. And if it doesn't, then then we have a whole nother routine of how to deal with the, those shots. Post-shot well, routine, right? Yeah. Yes. And that's Jeremy, a whole other bag. Yeah. It's so interesting because, you know, the average golfer that can see a lot of times get in their own way by seeing trouble. Yeah. Right. You have almost a benefit of not seeing trouble. Right. You get to focus on what you're doing. Can you talk about the balance of that? Cause I would imagine early on that must've been really tough to commit when you can't see what you're swinging at. Right. While at the same time you had maybe a little bit of extra freedom from not being able to see the trouble ahead of you. What was that balance like? Yeah. Uh, isn't it weird? It's like, okay, you're legally blind, but there's probably a benefit to that with some <laughs> things in golf. And there, there definitely are. Uh, I'm obviously not as good as I was when I was sighted, but there are some benefits to it in this. It's like you said, where I don't see all the trouble or all the hazards and I'm, I'm just focused on putting a good swing on it. And if I can do that, it should find the fairway as long as my guide is pointing me in the right direction or close to the fairway. I'm not going to hit 14 of 14 fairways and 18 of 18 greens. I'm not, uh, I'm legally blind. I'm not dumb. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's something that where it's funny. One time I played, I played in the Torrey Pines, the farmer's insurance open pro-am once. And hmm. my dad was guiding me. We're on the first tee at Torrey Pines, Torrey South. And my dad's lining me up and he goes, man, these fairways are tight. <laughs> and I was like, dad, <laughs> that is the worst thing you could have ever said to me because I'm literally first in my box. mind. First tee box. I don't know. I probably hit less than four fairways. Tour. <laughs> and I, and the, and the rough was thick. Yeah. And every fairway, every tee shot from then on out, I felt like the fairways were a foot wide because I can't see the difference, but once you've inserted and implanted that thought into my head, I'm over every tee shot thinking, how am I going to hit it in a fairway? That's super, super tight. Mm -hmm. So right. yeah, that had a negative impact and it was hard to psych myself out of that because once you miss a couple fairways in a row, after someone said that to you, it's tough to come back from it. But the adverse, the opposite of that is, yeah, when I do start hitting fairways and 
well, I guess let me take it back to when I first started playing blind golf, my dad used to point from the left side of the fairway to the right side of the fairway. And he would say, there's a bunker on the left. The fairway starts mm -hmm. here. And then he would move his hand over and he'd say, it goes all the way to here. Then there's another bunker. And then right of the bunker is all water. And I would step over the shot and I'd start to think, okay, there's bunker, right. But there's water right of that. So, you know, I primarily try to hit a cut with my driver. And I'm like, okay, you can hit a cut but not too big a cut. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. <laughs> after a while we said, you know what? There, like you said, Evan, there's a benefit to this. Don't tell me where the hazards are. Don't tell me what it yes. is. Just point in the direction we want to hit the shot. I don't mm. care how wide the fairways. just point in the direction. I want to hit the shot. Let's step over it and let's hit it. And I've had a lot better results as, as we started doing that. Yeah, I would think, Jeremy, it's funny you talk about kind of the journey with your dad, right? To become this caddy player relationship. I would think just, just tell me how many yards, you know, I can't hit it, right? Mm -hmm. If it's 250 is the max, tell me that, right? But yeah. anything else, just give me the direction. I exactly. would imagine that's kind of, yeah. For me, it's more, yeah, just tell me, like, if there's something we have to cover, like if there's a right. little creek or something and we got to cover at least 130, tell me it's got to go a minimum 130. That way I'm going to club up or I'm going to make sure that if I'm going to make good contact on this ball. It might go a little left. It might go a little right, but it's right. going to be dry. Uh, that's the main don't. Yeah. I don't want to know if there's a lot of trouble left, a lot of trouble, right. Just let's, let's point and, and shoot, point and shoot. And that, that creates that little mini goal in your head to commit to. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. And if I can have a, put a confidence swing over it with that, then, then we're golden. Totally. So Jeremy, we usually try and only ask questions that haven't been asked. Um, in other areas, but I do think it is important for you to give people some context of your childhood, your experience as a college student, and for, and even when you first started playing golf and kind of the progression of how you got into the game, um, how blindness came about, the actual disorder itself, and give people some context just before we start digging into some other mental stuff. I, I want people to, to understand that. Sure. Um... I grew up in sunny San Diego, California, specifically Carlsbad area. And um, my parents met working in the golf industry. They were working at TaylorMade and my mom was in marketing. My dad's an engineer and my dad basically worked 10 years at TaylorMade, 10 years at Cleveland Golf and 10 years at Callaway. And I was introduced to the game through him. Uh, he would go play every Friday with buddies. And I'm like, what's, what's dad doing? Like, where's, where's he going for a couple hours? And he comes back pretty happy. Like, what, what are you doing? And so <laughs> I grew up as a junior, just, you know, chipping and putting and getting the junior lessons at the the club we were members at around here. And um, I, I was, I was an athlete. I loved all sports, uh, played baseball, basketball, soccer, you name it. And then golf was one of them. So it was one of my many hobbies. But then once middle school came around and there was a middle school golf team, I was like, yeah, I want to be on that. Um, so I played on the middle school golf team, high school, same thing, played three years varsity uh, on the high school golf team. And there's a lot of good players in the San Diego area. Uh, I played in a high school tournament with Ricky Fowler. Um, we weren't in the same pairing, but I, as I'm walking up the ninth, uh, I see him walking down the first. And back then when we were 16 years old, it was, it was known that he was a phenom and was great. Um, but that's the quality and the caliber of players here. So when I was a three or four handicap, I was, 
yeah, it was like a four handicap in high school. I was good, but there were so many scratch golfers and guys shooting under par that for me, it was just like, whoa. Um, and so I, I ended up going to San Diego state cause I wanted a D one college experience and was not good enough to play on the golf team there, but just, I got that D one college experience. I joined a fraternity, had a great time. My freshman year was awesome. Sophomore year trending in the right direction. Things were just great. And during my sophomore year, I was walking around on campus with a group of friends, noticed I had to squint to read a sign, thought, okay, I guess I need glasses. So my friends are wearing glasses or contacts now. Now it's probably my turn. And over the next few months, my vision drastically deteriorated. It started in my right eye. And in a matter of months, uh, it went over to my left eye. And the reason I squinted was because I had no central vision in my right eye, but I didn't realize that. And it's it's caused by a rare genetic disorder i didn't know i had called labor's hereditary optic neuropathy or lhon it's very rare it happens to about 1 in 50,000 people only about 100 people in the us are diagnosed with it each year and it unfortunately has no treatment and no cure so sophomore year 19 years old prime of my life everything's going great and your biggest concerns are girls and <laughs> what grades you're getting and and partying and all of a sudden i'm now legally blind and kind of stripped of my independence and mm-hmm. so there's a a lot of the going through the stages of grief and we can unpack that or but i i definitely went into depression i saw a blind psychologist for a year plus and uh yeah that was it was a really challenging time it was by far the toughest challenge i've ever faced in my life and uh, I'm now 31. So it's been 12 years since and I've, I've adjusted to it. I've adapted. It's my new normal. I am legally blind, uh, but it does not define me and it does not make me inferior the, to others. I'm, I'm very comfortable in my own skin now and open and happy to talk about anything and everything. Well, well Jeremy, I, I'd ask you, and we, we could, like you said, we can really unpack this, but in terms of when, when that happened, that moment in your life that changed your life, what what did you lean on to get mm. you through what you know and maybe you leaned on a lot of things it was trial by error right and yeah. what what helped you what turned the corner for you in terms of you know it's going to be okay in the end yeah um i think you need to go through the stages of grief um whenever you go through a challenging time like this so quickly i went through denial anger bargaining depression, very real. And like I said, saw a blind psychologist to help me. And then I got through to acceptance. Um, But research says it takes on average two years to go from a traumatic life experience to reaching acceptance. Doesn't mean it's two years to the day you snap your fingers and you're good. Uh, It can be less than that. And there's some people who can go through uh, the same experience and it could be 10 years and they're still uh, struggling with it. But I would say what I leaned on, what helped me is just to kind of make it easy to remember is four P's. I think it was four P's that really helped me. Purpose, passion, perspective, and people. Um, And those, if I, if you have those four P's, uh, I think you're, you're going to live a quality life. And those are the things that I need to lean on to help me get to being where I am now. Yeah. It's interesting, Jeremy. I mean, I, I coach um, stress management with companies and also mentally with some golfers. And, um, you know, acceptance is a really powerful thing. 
Um, but I think you spoke to something that's really important, which is that doesn't mean it's all positive thinking and it's all avoidance of what you're going through. And a lot of people, it's hard for people to get this. A lot of, you know, I have a, per, I have a coach I speak to every week. And, you know, a lot of times if I have an off week, I have to lean into it. You know, and a lot of people don't understand what that means to lean into whatever you're going through and feel it and understand it. Learn what is what is really driving the feelings I'm having, unpacking it. And, um, you know, I, I think that's really powerful for people to understand that, look, you looking back, it, it took you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think you'd be where you are today if you just stuck in denial. Or you immediately went to acceptance, right? 100%. Like you needed to feel the challenges of it. I think that's really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think the first four stages of grief is a seesaw of uh, like disbelief and then reality sets in and you fall into the other one. So you're in denial and then reality sets in that it's real. So you get into anger. And then you go to bargaining. You're like, oh, please, I'll do whatever it takes to make things go back to normal. And then reality sets in and then you go into depression. Yep. Um, but yeah, you, you got to go through those stages to reach acceptance. Uh, you, it's not uh, can't just pass go and collect 200 bucks and get to acceptance. <laughs> you, you really need to go through those. And, you know, there's there's times we go through experiences in life or in business where you go through those stages in a matter of hours or minutes where maybe you didn't get the contract you expected or wanted so you go through denial you're angry at the person for not doing what they maybe said they would have done then you bargain and say maybe if i had done this differently they would have done it then it sets in and you get depressed uh, a little depressed like man i'm bummed it didn't you know i was counting on that and then you accept it and you move on um so because I talk about it in the sense of me losing my sight. I think we can all relate to it in so many different things and shoot like on the golf course, we go through that, right. You know, you, you're, you're standing on a short part four and you're like, all right. Um, like I'm going to find a way to make birdie on this hole. And when you walk off making a double, you go through denial, anger, bargaining, depression, <laughs> and sometimes we don't accept it. So, uh, yeah, it's, right. it's relatable in a lot of different ways. It's funny you say that, Jeremy. I was literally just thinking, I think I just went through that <laughs> post my Ryder Cup trip that I just oh, had sure. this weekend with 16 guys. I didn't play nearly as as committed as I would have liked on the last day, and we ended up losing in a playoff. But uh, uh, I was definitely bargaining yesterday, and there was definitely some some grief. and uh, but. I'm moving towards acceptance, but I want to never good to bargain on the golf course. <laughs> never good. We all bargain on the golf course, but it's never good. I want to, uh, before you, yeah, go ahead. Uh, before you jump in, I, no, Jeremy, just listening to you talk. I've heard you talk about the four P's in past interviews and it's, it's fascinating and it's very powerful. You, when you get that, when you finally got that perspective, mm-hmm. right. About where life, my life needs to go. Mm-hmm. Then you had the, then the passion came, right. And mm-hmm. now it's like, all right, I'm hitting the ground running. Blending those two, I mean, all four are important in the P's, but I just love that that blend. That's pretty neat. And I, and I think for, so yeah, passion, like when Evan started the interview and said, when did golf come back into it? When I started to get, when blind golf became a thing in, in my life and it was like, this could be a reality. And I started to play in competitive tournaments. All of a sudden I was like, whoa, this, I know what this feeling is like. This is awesome. Mm. Uh, and, and once I started to have that, it was like, okay. I, yeah. I can be okay with this. I started like acceptance really started to come in when I could 
still play competitive golf and maybe not at the level I was used to, but I can compete again and I can hit shots that I don't care where they, I, I don't need to see where they go. I don't, I'm not seeing the trajectory of the ball flight, but God right. damn, that felt good off the club face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, yes, <laughs> right. sites that like, we all know that we all know that right. no matter what your handicap is, you've hit a shot where you go, Oh my gosh, let me do that every time over. And, uh, starts in your hands, goes right to your heart. hundred percent. <laughs> and none of it, none of that includes your eyes. So yeah. it's, uh, it's extremely powerful and that's, that's really helpful for sure. That was well, what I, that was the passion bit for sure. Yeah. Jeremy, I feel like we've all, especially as you start to get better, I'm sure Serm can do this. I've done this many times where, you know, you're playing twilight golf, the sun's going down. Yeah. You can't really see the fairway and you hope that you can find your ball. And a lot of more times than not, just by the way it feels off the face, I know which direction I missed it or if I mm-hmm. caught it good. Mm-hmm. You're, I, I bet your feel, um, it's amazing how the body can adapt, right? And how right. other senses can become elevated once one becomes muted. Uh, I'm sure your feel is just maybe better than it's ever been with your hands. Say that again. Your feel with your hands I'm is totally probably messing with you. You said my other yeah. senses got better, so I <laughs> yeah. had to give you a hard time, Evan. That's the, come on, that's the that's the go-to blind joke. Um, no, you're you're absolutely right. It's um, it's it's that's the most common question I get is like, hey, after you lost your sight, have you noticed your other senses have gotten better? And every time I go, what? And then they repeat themselves. I'm like, freaking got them, man. This is too good. You got to do it, right? Um, no, but I, you're absolutely right, and yeah sighted folks you play and it's twilight and you you have those those experiences and then i'll even have times where i hit a shot and my dad goes i lost it in the sun and he you can hear this concern in his voice he's like i'm supposed to see and he's like i lost it in the sun i go don't worry it's right of the fairway it's not far off the fairway but it's going to be in the right rough somewhere and yeah nine times out of ten that's where it is because i can feel i'm like ooh, i pushed that a little bit and i could feel it's got a little bit of a cut on it but it's not going to be that bad so i'm like just drive down the right side of the fairway. It's going to be in the rough somewhere over there. And yeah, we, we tend to find it because we, yeah, we can feel that. So I can tell, uh, off the hands if I, and you know, it's kind of, it probably looks dumb sometimes where I'll hold the pose on shots. And it's like, why, why do you, I need to hold the pose when I literally can't see any of it. Once I make contact, the ball's gone, <laughs> but I'll hold the pose because I'm like, that's going to be stiff. Like that's going to be a cl- little club twirl. Oh, a little, a little club, yeah. I won't club twirl until my dad set confirms it's on the green, you know, because if you Love club it, yeah. twirl and it's short in the bunker, whoo, that's, yeah, I that's mean, my playing partners sitting. won't see it, but I, I won't feel You're good You're kind of sitting, it. sitting there for a little bit and then yeah, a little, yeah. a little delayed. I need, I need confirmation. It's like, yeah, that's for sure on the fairway. Okay. Now we'll twirl it. You don't want to do the early twirl. So for sure, Jeremy, a big thing, a big theme that we talk a lot about on the show is obviously expectations. You've talked about before how. You know, in your golf game, you were a four handicap and you clearly have had a goal um, to get back to a single digit handicap. But I, I want to talk and we'll talk about that. But I want to talk about starting to play golf again as a blind golfer. Um, talk about your expectations and how quickly, like, how did you navigate having to change your expectations? What did you focus on? What were your new expectations? And how did you um, progress there? Yeah, that was really hard. Um, 
I think maybe hearing this, you'd think, oh, wow, that's so cool that blind golf exists. Like he lost his sight and got to go right back into the game. That's really cool. But that wasn't the case for me. My mom, who's amazing, she found the United States Blind Golf Association, the USBGA, mm-hmm. and in doing research, she's like, oh my gosh, like my son just lost his sight. He loves golf and there's a blind golf organization. These golfers can play in tournaments all over the world. Like this is it. This is like, I found the golden ticket. And yeah. Sure. In hindsight, she's right that 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 was, and and it's really impacted my life in such a positive way. But when she first approached me about it and said, "Hey, there's blind golf tournaments all over the world, Jeremy. Like this is for you," I said, "No thanks. I want nothing to do with it." And the reason for that is, like you said, I was a four handicap when I could see. All of a sudden, now being legally blind, like I don't want to go out there and shoot in the triple digits. Like, are you kidding me? Like. I, for me, like when I was, I was shooting in the seventies and you know, the low eighties. And then all of a sudden it's like, I know I'm not going to shoot that number. Like I, I didn't want to go out there and embarrass what to me felt like I would be embarrassing myself. And then, uh, when I was fully sighted and would play, like I didn't like slow play. And I Mm -hmm. thought blind golf sounded like the epitome of slow play. And, uh, depending on who you're playing with. Yeah. It can be a really long day, but I just, I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to deal with slow play. So at first I, I wanted nothing to do with it. Um, but when I finally did, what I did was I said, okay, you know what? Like months after my mom told me about it, I said to my dad, like, I'll go to the driving range with you. And I said, if I miss a shot, if I swing and just like flat out miss the ball, I'm done. I'm not doing this. And uh, I didn't miss a ball uh, out of the bucket we got. And like, like we said earlier, some felt really good in the hands and to the heart. And I was like, yeah, okay. I remember this feeling. I was like, I'll give it a shot. And I think the first round out with my dad, and I think I shot a 98 or a 99. And it's like, wow, you broke a hundred. I'm like, yeah, but I just shot like a 98 or a 99. Like that is so like, I want to just like bury myself uh, because that's, that was so much higher than what I was used to. Um, but I had to, you know, yeah, I had to kind of recalibrate. Um, okay. I was sighted. That's what I shot. I am now a new person. I'm visually impaired. I'm not able to do the things I used to do at least not right away. So the expectations became, okay, how many pars can I make in a round? How many, Mm -hmm. when, when am I going to make my first birdie? Um, Mm. how many par? let's go par train. How many pars in a row can I do? And it was All like, right. holy crap, I just made three pars in a row. Like I haven't done that. So it's, it's a, it, it was oh, a lot baby. of new first. And that was, that was a big deal. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about it. I mean, we've, we're talking a lot of long game, Jeremy, but you know, the short game is where it's at. Right. Yeah. yeah. Especially, you know, I grew up playing and it was never the longest hitter and always had to convince myself at some point, you're just, you're just not going to be the longest or best ball striker. So double down on your short game. And thinking about your situation with putting, when I was a kid and I'd be struggling with putting, my coach would, one of his drills would be close your eyes and putt. You know, mm. I would get too handsy, too army, too guidey, no rhythm. I feel like we got a rhythm theme today on this show yeah. with you. Yeah. And I would, I, would, I would close my eyes, I'd putt, and all of a sudden the tension would leave me, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen Jordan Spieth look at the hole. We, right. Sergio's experimenting with closing his eyes, but talk about that right where you you can still see a little bit but yeah but it, it was it was it was different i think there's a power in, in closing the eyes or you know not worried about 
what you're looking at on the green. Yeah. Um, I'm not focused on the hole. I'm not like, oh, the, okay, the hole's there. It's, I am focused on the stroke and just literally just putting the right stroke on the ball and then where it goes, mm -hmm. it goes. Um, and that's a blind squirrel finds the nut. We're a happy guy. Uh, we're, we're a happy team. But yeah, it's something where for me, it's all, it's all a matter of feel on the greens. And what I do in blind golf is I'll pace it off. So I'll walk mm -hmm. the amount of paces or yards it is from the ball to the hole. And let's say it's 10 paces. Okay. That's a 30 foot putt, but I like to think about it in paces. So I come back to my dad and he's using his eyes to read it, but I'll come back and say, Hey, 10 paces and my feet, it feels uphill a little bit towards the end. And it feels like it's breaking to the left and he'll kind of confirm what he's saying. He says, yeah, I see that. I'd see like, I'd want to sure. put it a foot right of the hole and I'd see it breaking. I see it breaking left and yeah, it looks like it's going up a little bit. So then we say, okay, if it's 10 pace, distance what do we want to play it and we'll say you know what with that uphill bit let's play it 12 paces okay so i'm literally just thinking at that point what's a 12 pace putt let's mm. just focus on that yeah. and with my two ball putter it's got a line on it and my dad from behind will tell me to go a little more left or right and then when we're lined up to that target i put a stroke on it that feels like 12 paces and i can feel it off the face if i hit it a little short if it's if i hit a little long or if it's going to be relatively close to the hole or potentially go in. Um, and then that's a, that's a rule change or a rule accommodation in blind golf is I'm allowed to have someone stand behind me throughout the shot mm. um, for sure. all shots, for putts, anything. I'm allowed to have them stand behind me. And that's what we do for the putts. And yeah, it's, I'm, I can, I can putt the 12 pace putt and then not even like lift my head up because I'm not going to see where it's going and I'm not too mm. focused on mm. that. So it's all about the feel, putting what it feels like is 12 paces on that ball. And, and then we see where it ends up. Well, it's great. I mean, Ev, when we had Dr. Joe Parent on the show from Zen Goff, you know, he talks about no, no putt really has any meaning. What you need to do is can you get it started at a couple inches in front of you, you know, can, and can you just, you know, can you do your best to feel it and just get it started and, and that's it. Right. Yeah. And that's where my, that's where my mind goes here. That's, and that's how good putters putt when you can remove any sort of extra meaning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Jeremy, what just going back for one second on the expectation stuff, you said something that's really interesting to me. I heard Nelly Corda, number one player, obviously on the LPGA. Um, she said something really interesting a few weeks ago. She said, um, she plays every round of golf like a blank slate. Yep. And she's playing the best golf of her life. Gold medalist, major winner, number one player in the world. Like, couldn't have had a better previous two months of her career. She's like 24, right? Mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't have expectations that she's going to play today's round like she did yesterday or three weeks ago. And I think you went through that with having being sighted. Mm -hmm. and being visually impaired, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really interesting. I struggled with that this past weekend in an event I played in where previously my irons are the best part of my game, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm either going to hit the green or I'm going to be just off the green. Yes. Um, but this weekend, my irons were kind of all over the place. And I think what causes us to go in a mental spiral is holding on to, quote, the guy we were before, mm -hmm. right? 
versus going back to what you went through in grieving, you leaned into where you were in that moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important to play each day as a blank slate. Yeah, I think every round of golf is an unwritten story and we have no idea how the story is going to turn out. Um, and, and we, and we'll put those expectations on that story where we might birdie the first hole. And then all of a sudden we start to think, Oh, this is the best story I've ever written. And it might be the right. best round of all time. And then we go double, double and we're like, okay, nope, back to reality. But yeah, it's every round of golf is an unwritten story. And the more we can kind of get out of our own way, the more, the, the better it is for us that we don't set these expectations of wow, I just started with a birdie. Like, what, what could that mean? It's like, you got 17 more holes to go. Um, well, so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good point. Well, and Jeremy, yeah, just to add on to that too with Ev, I mean, whether you're playing blind golf or playing golf with sight, every, every golf round, your body feels different mm -hmm. and your mind feels different. Who knows how yeah. your week's going, your job's going, your relationships, yeah, yeah. how you slept. And to Ev's point, it has to be a blank slate because yeah. that's the tough. It's just, you're, it's always a different animal when you get on that mm -hmm. first tee or that range driving range. I'm sure yeah, you know, 100%. you recognize that too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's, but it's, and the listeners would agree. It's easier said than done. Right. Because oh, yeah. like you said, Evan, you're like, I'm, I'm an irons guy. Like I'm my, I'm going to knock these irons on the green or close to the green. And when the first few holes go and it's not going that way, you're like, but, but like, that's, that's my thing. I, I, that's what I can rely on. So like, then you start to scramble in your head of like, well, what, what do I do now? Uh, and that's, that's not a good, that's, that's never a, a fun thing to go through on the golf course. Well, speaking of expectations, yeah. Jeremy, you told a story before where you shot a 97 in tournament and your mm -hmm. opponent shot 324 and 324, up, which I didn't even know. Like, I actually, I was trying to think about what that means. I, I, I think we need to like calculate out what that means per hole. Um, cause it's hard to fathom what 324 even is, but it's 162. <laughs> he, he walked up to you and genuinely said how much fun he had and how much of a pleasure it was playing with you. And you were, I think a little upset about your score. And I think yeah. that was a turning point you said for you and how it changed your intention, uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think that's that hits perspective on the head, right? There's I shot a 97 first round of the national championship in 2009 and was pretty livid about the 97 and was barking at my dad for all these things that I said he did wrong and was blaming him for all the all the missed shots and yeah, I played with this guy John Casolo who's totally blind, can't see a thing. He's one of those who's totally blind and mm -hmm. um yeah, he shot a 324 and uh, my dad and I on the 17th hole were like, you know, what do you think he's going to shoot? Cause this is, you know, this is pretty bad. And I'm like, do you think he shoots over two, 200? And my dad's like, Oh God. Yeah. I'm like, really? Okay. Cause I, I, I knew it was bad, but I didn't know how bad. And then, you know, right. they, they toted it up and it was 324. I'm like, Whoa. Uh, but after the final putts dropped on the 18th hole, he had a far better attitude than I did. Mm. Uh, I'm a lot more competitive than he is. Um, he's out there to have fun and enjoy himself and that's it. And I'm out there trying to win, but I think there's a way to do both. And uh, yeah. I try to instill a lot of his attitude and like, I try to inject that in myself before a round of golf, before a speaking engagement, before, 
really anything is like, if I can be a little bit more like John Casolo, then uh, I'll be all right. And the people around me will enjoy themselves more too. So that's well, on that's average for people. So I'm 18 on every hole is essentially 18 times 18 is 324, just to give context. So I'll tell you too, there was a par four with a creek in the middle. And I don't know why the tournament director set it up this way. They had the drop area, the drop zone in front of the creek. So you'd have to carry it over. Yeah. And it was in the rough. And he had a guide who had never guided him before. And so he put it in the creek. They dropped it. And for some reason, he was trying. The guy was like, hey, your three wood. So he kept dumping the three wood into the creek. And on that hole in particular, he made a 33. Uh, and that was his largest number. And I was just like, it was just, it, it was baffling. It was, it was crazy. And the next day, I think he shot like a 130 something. I'm like, John, wow. come on, man. How do you do 30, 24 with me in a 130 something the next day? He's like, I don't know. Maybe you're my bad luck. Or, or he just needs a better caddy. Like, yeah, that know? too. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's, it, what I'm interested in also, Jeremy, is talk about your, the state of your game right now. You know, it sounds like when you, the journey, you got so much better at your pre-shot routine, but what, what do you do well? What do you need to work on? And how do you practice? And I think for our listeners, it's important to understand how you practice, what you focus on, um, ultimately to get better. Yeah. So I'd say the best part of my game is just kind of my, well, say like my all around game is pretty solid, like off the tee, um, with the driver, I, I hit it far enough. Uh, it's, it's consistent. It's, it's not going to be crazy off the planet. Like it's in play. It's either in the fairway or in the rough, barely on the left or the right. So we keep it in play and don't lose too many balls off the tee. Um, my irons are fine. Uh, they're maybe not Evan status, but they're, they're fine. Uh, maybe more like yours, uh, this past weekend, Evan, sorry, sorry to, <laughs> yeah. to wow. give you that. That's okay. I've accepted that. it. That's okay. Good Jesus man. Good man. We move on. Uh, so my <laughs> irons are fine. Um, I think they could, they, I, I can improve there. My putting is good and my chipping is okay. Like, I think that's okay. the part of my game that I'm really, uh, looking to work at. Like, I think I can, lower a lot more strokes if i can get even better with my chipping like i um i'd say i was struggling with it for a while and we all know the the hank haney thing and i don't know if it's him or in particular who gets credit for it but no if you want to lower your scores it's the three things right one yeah. no uh penalty shots don't lose balls or put them in the hazard or anything uh two uh chip only once um and what's <laughs> the third one that i'm forgetting three putts Thank you. Yeah. No three yeah. putts. So I don't three putt often and I keep the ball in play, but I was kind of doing sometimes where I would chip it over the green, have to chip again, or, sure. you know, try to get too cute. And so I was like, okay, I'm only going to chip once. And that became kind of my theme for a while. And that lowered scores, which was great. But I want to now, like, if I can get up and down 50% of the time, like we'll be, we'll be shooting some low scores. So yeah, I, I'm, I feel good about the state of my game right now, but uh, and I'm, I feel confident with it, but I also know there's a lot of room for improvement, which is always a good thing too. So Jeremy, do you think with the chipping, are you working on distance control or is it really just picking the right shot and, and committing to that, to the right chipper pitch? Sir, I think you're going to come out to San Diego and give me a lesson, right? Oh, he, he's <laughs> well, helped me a lot. So I, I, I've heard. I, a good thing. Yeah. I like that. I think it's. 
it's it's just having like total confidence over a chip shot it's knowing what i want to do how i want to do it and do it and executing it like yeah. i'll i'll know what i want to do okay it's a 22 pace shot like and it's in the rough on an upslope so then it's like okay i want to land it 15 yards with some height and it'll kind of trickle out um and so i know what i want to do and then when i'm over the ball uh i'm having a tough time executing it to where like i'll hit it and i'm like oh man i got too much ball and it probably lands 22 and rolls out or i you know it's 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 a little bit distance control it's a little bit just kind of calming the nerves and especially in competitive pressure because if i just need to nuke a drive pressure or not i can nuke a drive uh, i can hit a full seven iron uh perfectly fine but when we get around the green and need to hit a delicate little chip shot i try i need to th that's where the breathing techniques really come in and all i try to think about is have a one one tempo kind of mm -hmm. like jordan speed's putting stroke yep. you know where it doesn't look like acceleration it's just very one one so when i'm chipping i try to think that's all i'm trying to think is one one and so as, as I try to smoothly take it back, smoothly come through with it. And if I can do that, um, I just kind of have little keys or things that I think mm -hmm. about with chipping. And if it works, I hold on to it for as long as possible. So will you vocalize that? Because we talk about vocalization a lot. Will you say one, one, like if you're, especially if you're under the gun or just when you're chipping, just curious. Yeah. I'll say it to my dad, which is nice. It, it, it helps yeah. me to vocalize it to him. I'll say, Hey, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna open the face. And I'm gonna play a little. I'm gonna play one one and land at 15. And he says, "Yeah, I like that." Or we'll we'll talk about all those things before I step in and commit to it. But I'll vocalize. I'll say it in my head. I'll step over it and I'll be like, "All right, what's my key here?" Like, okay, I want to make sure that as I'm taking the club back for a chip shot, I want my left knee to move while I'm taking the club back. So I'm making sure it's one piece and my my legs are involved. Uh, it's not all upper body because uh, mm -hmm. that can get us in trouble. So it's like, okay, I just want, all I want is one, one and my left knee's moving. Okay. I've got my line. Okay. And then boom, I pull the trigger. And if we can do that, then we're, we're looking okay. Yeah. You've said what a couple of times, just to unpack it for the listeners, you've mentioned a couple of things like with chips, one and one, right. That's a tempo um, process thought mm -hmm. um, with your, your putts, you're focused on just making a good stroke. Mm -hmm. um, your swing, you're focused on your tempo, mm -hmm. right? And your rhythm. So like, I think it's a really good learning for everyone because everyone else gets caught up with what's out there. Mm -hmm. And you know, what I had to really focus on this past weekend is like, look, I think you mentioned this earlier in our interview, Jeremy, like you almost have to psych yourself up to be confident sometimes. Like mm -hmm. you're not always going to have the luxury of being confident only when you're hitting good shots. Like I hit the ball pretty bad all day and then I go into this shootout. I had to psych myself up. So I became obsessed with my key, which was a takeaway thought and then be aggressive and not be tentative at all. And actually I swung a little bit harder than I was all day and I won, you know, nice. and I had to psych myself up. So I think that's a really important thing for people to remember is look, practice can be boring especially if you don't have a plan you don't know what to do to me the best practice sessions have been finding keys that mm -hmm. work for me right like mm -hmm. try a try taking a deep breath and letting it out and then swinging try um counting like you just did try 
your posture, try your tempo, like things that you can lean on when you play. It sounds like you play every round like that, which is probably why you are now a single-digit handicap that um, is blind, which is amazing. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's like for me, like my world is like I'm in this little bubble, right? I'm not distracted by the visual world, I guess. Mm -hmm. So when I'm over the ball, I'm only focused on my keys. And when I'm over the ball for anything, full shot, chip shot, putt, I'm only focused on my keys. And as long as my guide puts me in the right direction, I can hit shots that should turn out well. Um, mm -hmm. Is that going to be 100% of the time? No, but I'm just focused on those keys and and i'm just like i'm i'm just totally on the idea of where what i need to do with it like the chip shot i'm not always thinking too much tech too many technical things i'm just thinking what do i need to do to get this to land 15 yards and so over the practice strokes i'm just trying to feel what is that going to be 15 yards is that okay that feels like it's it let's replicate that then i quickly think those keys and boom try to replicate that over the ball that's so, so right, important. Yeah. Yeah. No. So right now, Jeremy, like let's, we talked about your physical game. What are the keys for your mental game? Like, what do you focus on? What is, do you have a singular focus round around? Is there certain things you're working on from an attitude standpoint or your intentions? Uh, let's talk about your mental game in these last few minutes. Yeah. Um, before every round, I try to tell myself a mantra. Um, the mantras. And, I, and I, it's not perfect in my mind right now, but it's um, play my best, be my best, and enjoy myself. That's mm -hmm. I say that to myself before every round because, okay, play my best. That doesn't mean I'm going to shoot my lowest score. It means like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best I possibly can in the situation I'm in. Um, be my best. Okay. I can not be the nicest person to my dad on the course sometimes. And I can blame him for a lot of things. And, you know, he's at fault for things, but I'm at fault for things. And okay, I'm going to be my best self out there and then enjoy myself. Okay. At the end of the day, it's perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm on the golf course. How can I make sure that I'm enjoying myself no matter what? Um, again, easier said than done. Sometimes you make two doubles in a row and you go to the next team and go, why am I even, what am I doing? This is not even enjoyable, but you gotta, okay. Take a step back, breathe in, enjoy your surroundings and say, you know what? I'm golfing with my dad and I got to enjoy, enjoy these moments. So those are, that's what I try to tell myself as a mantra before every round. And then, um, yeah, I just try to breathe slow things down, uh, walk, walk a little slower, listen to slow, like slower tune music, uh, rhythmic music, uh, before I go to the first tee and just try to be as relaxed as possible. And yeah, I just, and then for me, it's all about routine. Like we talked about early on, it's, it's how do I treat the 18th hole? Like I treat the first hole again, easier said than done. Cause we get to the 18th hole and go, Oh man, if I par it, I'm going to shoot my lowest score ever. Good luck shooting your lowest score ever once you've thought that. Yeah. Um, and I also being legally blind, I told my dad early on, I'm like, I think there's, there's obviously there's benefits, but there's a lot of hindrances to it too, challenges. And one of them being, I knew, like, I've got a really good memory and I'll know 
I would know what my, like, I would know, okay, I'm on the 14th hole. And I know if I par out, I shoot 82. And I'm thinking about that. And, you know, I'm, I, I made the turn and I know I just shot 41. Like I, and my dad's adding it up. He's like, do you want to know what you, what you shot on the front nine? I go, no, it's 41. I know. He's like, no, I got 40. I go, read me the numbers. No, I bogeyed five. I didn't par it. You know, like I, it's, it's, and, and I, I work really hard to not know what my score is. That's something I'm working on, but it's hard when you can't be visually distracted by things. So it's like, I'm in my own head all the whole round. And especially it's, it's really hard when you're shooting a really low score, because Mm -hmm. when I'm one over through six, it's hard to not know you're one over through six. Um, so that's, that's something I'm working on and, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Best part. I mean, the best players have kind of short-term memories, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're out there. Yeah. Right. And it's always, a, it's always a battle. But it is a lot of keys there, right? Being able to slow down out there. Mm-hmm. It's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard, but especially when it's going good and when it's going really bad. Yeah. But when it's going really, really bad, it ramps up so fast. But if we remind ourselves like you so often do, that helps. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, Jeremy, we've got to talk about, I think 2010 to me sticks out. Um, Your first time playing in the world blind golf championships in 2010. I remember your dad saying you didn't have any expectations. You guys were just happy to be there. Right. And that seems Mm -hmm. to be a really interesting theme for a lot of first time winners is mm-hmm. you're, you're happy to be there. Your expectation level is low. You're very present shot to shot. And then boom, you're in a playoff. You win. Talk about what your mindset was that week and what that meant to you. Yeah, there were 60 competitors from 14 different countries. It was our first world championship, like you said. And I thought, okay, I'm 20 years old. I expect to play in many more world championships and let's just enjoy our experience as if we were John Casolo, who we referenced <laughs> earlier, like, let's yep. just have fun. And, and just <sighs> when we make, when we finish the round, like we, we enjoyed ourselves and that's, that was the key. Like I was, my key was to smile as much as possible to soak it up as much as possible. Like my, we, we play in a cart and like, if I was 180 yards out, if I put it on the green, from there, I happily gave my dad the club, happily took my putter and strolled uh, to the green, not in a slow way or anything, but like enjoyed yeah. my walk. And uh, I like it. That was, I earned that. And so that's what I told myself. If I put it on the green, I earned the walk from that place to the green with putter in hand. That's cool. And that was, that was fun. I, that was, it was really nice. My dad would drive the cart up and I'd meet him at the green and then we'd focus on the putt. But that was that was the expectation it was just okay see what we do how we do and yeah after the two-day tournament we were tied for the the lead with with a player from england who had played in other world championships and uh my dad and i said to each other like okay like we enjoyed ourselves let's you know let's go put a, a cherry on top of it and we played that playoff hole it was a par four uh i punched my tee shot into the trees and didn't hit it well there and then uh chipped out played the smart move to just chip out then ended up short of the green and then we both were lying in the same we were basically both short of the green with um both with chipping for par from there and um yeah then it was just i what was 
I was a, it was crazy. I was a better chipper then than I am today. Like that was, I, that day I was chipping it so well. And uh, that key with my left knee that I just told you about, that was my key that whole round. And I've kind of re-implemented it now and was like, that's what I need to focus on now. And we'll see how long that lasts, hopefully forever. But I, I was over that chip shot uh, in the playoff. My dad stands in between me and the hole. I line up to him because I'm unable to see the flag. Uh, he moves out of the way. I hit the shot and off the club face. I'm like, okay, perfect. Like we're within five feet. Like we're going to, and we're going to easily get up, not easily, but we're going to have a good look to get up and down. And, uh, I hear the ball, like I hear it make a noise. And for some reason in my mind, I'm, I've got competitive pressure. It's a playoff. There's people watching live and I hear a noise and I'm like, what the heck is that? Like, I have this mindset of like, what is that foreign sound? I turn to my dad and he screams, it went in. <laughs> and oh man, everything after yeah. that was a blur. Pun, pun intended. You, yeah. it was, it was you, awesome. you, I, I watched that video, Jeremy, you nipped that chip perfectly. Uh, yeah. Two bounce, little, little, little check on it. And it just poured right in. Amazing. Crazy. Amazing. Thank you. I, and I, <laughs> I look back on that and I'm 31 and that's when I was 20 and it was off. It was off tight lie. There's probably, you know, 50 plus people, beyond the green watching from the back of the green and like I took a 58 degree nipped it like you said two hop check and then it rolls in and I look at that as a 31 year old now in awe of my 20 year old self like damn kid that was good <laughs> yeah well the, the coolest thing about that Jeremy I had two takeaways from what you just said um one is you expected that there were going to be bumps right? You knew that mm -hmm. you're going to have shots that maybe don't meet your expectations and that's okay. That's expected. But then the cool thing that I've never really heard anyone say is like, you deserve to enjoy this moment. So you took moments that were previously pretty ordinary, right? Like just grabbing your putter, walk into the green. Like it's kind of like our mantra is enjoy the ride, you know, like it's, yeah. uh, that's cool to be like, I deserve this. This is a, this is a fun walk right now. Cause I stuck that green and I committed to my shot and I executed and I'm going to enjoy this walk a little bit extra because I know that that's not going to happen every time. And that's a cool mm -hmm. thing for people to remember. I think is to have fun with little ordinary moments. It was yeah. kind of dangling that carrot in front of myself. It was like, if I, I'm 150 yards out middle of the fairway, I should put this on the green. But when you have that expectation of I should do it, then you put more pressure on yourself. So all I was thinking is if I get this on the green, I get the ability to walk with my putter and that carrot kind of, that helped a lot with my ball striking, which was pretty fun. Well, love it. this was great. If you guys aren't following Jeremy on Instagram, follow him at Jeremy points that's P O I N C E N O T. And he's also at Jeremy points uh, I know you do speaking engagements, coaching, so definitely check out Jeremy. I'm sure it'd be amazing. Uh, before we go, Jeremy, is there anything that we didn't touch on or anything that you want to reiterate for maybe a, whether someone's you know um, impaired themselves looking to get into the game or someone like Sermonai or a 25 handicap that's getting really bogged down by the game of golf? Um, is there a good focus or uh, thought for them to remember from this interview? What would you say? Yeah, I think if, if me being a blind guy can provide perspective, 
uh, I think that's the whole goal here. Like if, yeah, you know, it's, it's all about perspective. Um, I'm legally blind and I don't want sympathy or pity because I'm living a really great life. And I know there's other people who have it worse than I do. And there's always people who have it worse than us. Um, so when we're like, we're really privileged to be able to play this great game of golf, no matter what our scores are, we need to realize that we're really lucky to play this great game. And um, if you're having a bad day, know there's a blind golfer out there. Um, and then there's people who aren't even able to play this game. So it's all about perspective. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, I was going to say, thanks for the perspective and the passion today. It's an yeah. absolute pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. And, pleasure, and to have guys. you on our show. Thank you so. so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We're going to be cheering you on more world championships coming and uh, oh, yeah. maybe we could have you back and come on a mental game roundtable, unpack some things more. And you're a Southern California guy. So if I come down to San Diego, we'll have to tee it up. Let's do it. That'd be fun. All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank appreciate you both. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care.